right, uh, brothers and sisters in the faith, praises be to our almighty God, Yahuwah, for gathering each and every one of us together today. Our topic is Leviticus chapter 16, which will focus on one word. It is the word atonement. Now, what does the word atonement actually mean? We'll find out later on. So what is Leviticus chapter 16 all about? In the book of Leviticus chapter 16 and the verses 1, it says, Yahuwah spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons, who died after they entered Yahuwah's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. Perhaps you still remember this incident back in Leviticus chapter 10, when Nadab's son, uh, when Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they offered profane fire before God, and instead of being accepted by God, Yahuwah's fire smote at them, and they were killed on the spot. And so Yahuwah speaks to Moses concerning the death of Aaron's two sons, and Yahuwah gives instructions to him. What were these instructions about? Leviticus 16, verse 2, uh, Yahuwah said to Moses, Warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement is there, and I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. And so Yahuwah speaks to Moses directly, instructing him to give instructions to Aaron. Why Aaron? What is his office or duty? He was the high priest. As high priest, what does he get to do? He has the honor and privilege to enter the most holy place. Take note, nobody else except for Moses and Aaron could enter the most holy place. And Aaron can only go there once a year. It's called the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, Aaron gets to go in and out of the most holy place three times. And we will show you the three times he will get to do that. However, before he enters the most holy place, he needs to follow instructions. Why? Because in the most holy place, the Bible says there is the place of atonement, the ark's cover. You still remember, this is how it look like, looks like. It is the ark of the covenant. It is in the most holy place. And this is cherished by Almighty Yahuwah God. So what were the instructions given by God to Aaron through Moses so that he will not die when he enters the most holy place? Let's read the book of Leviticus 16, feet down to 5. When Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and the linen undergarments worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So God is telling Aaron this is what he needs to do to prepare himself before he enters the most holy place. What is it? First, he needs to prepare his body. This is why before he wears his tunic, before he wears his undergarments, he needs to bathe himself. He needs to cleanse himself physically. Not only that, he needs to bring a bull for a sin offering 
and also a ram for a burnt offering. This will be for himself and his family. He also needs to receive from the community of Israel two male goats and another ram. So what do we have so far? We got one bull, right? Two goats and how many rams? Two rams. Later on, we're going to have a quiz. What happens to each of these animals, okay? What was the purpose of the bull? 16, 6 to 7, Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, make, making them right with Yahuwah, that he must take the two male goats and present them to Yahuwah at the entrance of the tabernacle. What was the purpose of the bull? It is to serve as a sin offering to purify Aaron as the high priest and his family, perhaps also to purify the other priests. How about the goats? What is to happen with the goats? Leviticus 16, 8 down to 9. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to Yahuwah and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by Lot for Yahuwah. So we have two goats. Remember? What's going to happen to the two goats? Well, they're going to have two different destinies. One of the goats are, is going to be slaughtered and offered as a sacrifice. The other goat is going to carry the sins of the people and be set free and driven to the wilderness. And so how do they decide which goat is to be slaughtered and which goat is to act as a scapegoat? They cast lots. And this is how they do it. They use lots. So it's like casting a die. And they have specific ways to do that. And Yahuwah God gets to choose the goats as revealed by the casting of lots. And so when they choose the goat, what happens to the scapegoat, the one that's not slaughtered? Leviticus 16.10, the other goat, the scapegoat chosen by lot to be sent away will be kept alive standing before Yahuwah. When it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with Yahuwah. You notice the two themes, right? The purpose of these sacrifices, the purpose of the ceremony of the Day of Atonement. It is to purify the people and to make right the people of God before Yahuwah. I want you to keep that in mind because that's the purpose of the Day of Atonement. And so that's the plan. This is how God is going to atone for his people. And so how does the process begin? How does the day of atonement begin? What is the first activity? Let's read Leviticus 16, 11 and 12. Aaron will present his own bull, right? He will place his hands on the bull. He will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with Yahuwah. After he has slaughtered the bull as a sin offering, he will fill an incense burner with burning coals from the altar that stands before Yahuwah. Then he will take handfuls of fragrant powdered incense and will carry the burner and the incense behind the inner curtain. So what will Aaron do with the bull? He will slaughter the bull. He will offer it as a sin offering before Yahuwah to cleanse himself and his family and perhaps also the other priests. And then what will he do next? Bible says he will get incense 
they will get the incense burner and fill it with burning coals. And he's going to take handfuls of fragrant powdered incense. And what will he do with that? He will carry it inside the inner curtain. What does that mean? It means he now gets to go inside where? The most holy place. And so this is kind of how it looks like. This is like the high priest when he's performing the ceremonies of the Day of Atonement. He's not wearing the regular attire that he has. He's only wearing like white linen to represent humility. And so this is his first entrance into the most holy place. He has the, the burner, he has the incense, and he burns that inside the most holy place. Why? What is the purpose of this? Leviticus 16, 13, there in Yahuwah's presence, he will put the incense on the burning coals so that a cloud of incense will rise over the ark's cover, the place of atonement that rests on the ark of the covenant. If he follows these instructions, he will not die. And so there's a cloud of incense that represents the glory of Yahuwah's presence. So he leaves the most holy place and what does he do next? Leviticus 16, 14, that he must take some of the blood of the bull, dip his finger in it, and sprinkle it on the east side of the atonement cover. He must sprinkle the blood seven times with his finger in front of the atonement cover. And so he gets some blood, the blood from the slaughtered bull. And what does he do with it? He goes back to the most holy place. Right? This is his second entrance to the most holy place. And what does he do? He sprinkles the blood on the atonement cover of the most of the Ark of the Covenant. And so he leaves again the Ark of the Covenant. This is how it looks like from a different angle, right? He goes back. What does he do next? Leviticus 16:15. Then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. There he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement cover and in front of it, just as he did with the bull's blood. So after Aaron uh, gives or sprinkles the blood on the altar or on the, uh, the covering of the Ark of the Covenant, he now slaughters the goat. Not two goats, but just one of the two goats and after slaughtering the goat he takes the blood and he sprinkles it on the atonement cover just like he did with the bull offering or with the bull's blood right and so now this is the third time he enters the most holy place so he enters the most holy place three times on the day of atonement so after cleansing himself cleansing the people's sins through the bull sacrifice, the goat sacrifice, and now he sprinkles the blood on the covering. What is the purpose of that? 16, 16 to 17, through this process, he will purify the most holy place, and he will do the same for the entire tabernacle. So the purpose of sprinkling the blood is to cleanse the Ark of the Covenant because of the sins of the people the purpose of the cleansing is so that the sins of God's people can be atoned for. So after cleansing 
by sprinkling blood on the, the Ark of the Covenant's cover, he will do the same thing for the entire tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle is outside of the inner curtain. And so this is what he will do. In verse 17, no one else is allowed inside the tabernacle when Aaron enters it for purification, the ceremony in the most holy place. No one may enter until he comes out again after purifying himself, his family and all, the congregation of Israel, making them right with Yahuwah. So after cleansing the most holy place, he cleanses the curtains, the altar, and everything inside the tabernacle. And after he does this, what will he also purify? What does he purify next? 16, 18 to 19, then Aaron will come out to purify the altar that stands before Yahuwah. This is in the courtyard, right? Remember the tabernacle is composed of three parts. What were they again? You got the courtyard where you have the altar that stands before Yahuwah. You got the tabernacle, right? Which has the altar of incense, the lampstand, and the table of bread. Remember that? And then you have the most holy place, which has the Ark of the Covenant. So what is cleansed first is the most holy place. And then the tabernacle and now the altar in the courtyard. He will do this by taking some of the blood from the bull and the goat mixed together, right? And putting it on each of the horns of the altar. And he must sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times over the altar. In this way, he will cleanse it from Israel's defilement and make it holy. And so this is the process. This is These are the activities during the day atonement but it's not finished yet right why because we still have a goat we still have a goat what happens next leviticus 16 20 to 22 when aaron has finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle and the altar he must present the live goat he will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess it over and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and the sins of the people of Israel. This is how it looks like, right? He places both hands on the goat. What's his goat called? Scapegoat, right? So he places his hands on the scapegoat. And what for? What is the reason behind that? If we keep reading, in this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. And the man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. You know why God is doing this? You know what God is trying to communicate to his people Israel? You know what he's telling the people of Israel? It's basically Psalms 23 verse 12. God says he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. And so God not only purifies their sins, God not only makes them right before his presence, he also will not remember their sins anymore. This is why the Day of Atonement, once a year in the calendar of the people of Israel, is the most important day for them because of the blessings that the, that, that the Day of Atonement brings to the people of Israel. Israel. However, let's not forget, because when we, in, in Leviticus 16, 3 to 5, there's the rams, right? We haven't done anything with the rams yet. The 
goats, the bulls. Okay, that's finished, but how about the ram? Leviticus 16, 23, 25, when Aaron goes back into the tabernacle, he must take off the linen garments he was wearing when he entered the most holy place. And he must leave the garments there. Then he must bathe himself with water in a sacred place, put on his regular garments, and go out to sacrifice a burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people. Through this process, he will purify himself and the people, making them right with Yahuwah. He must, he must then burn all the fat of the sin offering on the altar. And so after the scapegoat ceremony, what happens next? Aaron will now sacrifice the two rams, one for himself and one for the sins of the people of Israel. What's the purpose of the ceremony of the Day of Atonement? For the blessing that God gives to his people. What are they? Number one, cleansing from sin through the sacrifices led by the high priest. Number two, to put the people of Israel right with God. Number three, so that their sins are no longer remembered by God. I ask you, brothers and sisters, are those great blessings? Absolutely, right? That's what we want. We want cleansing from our sins. We want to be put right with our Almighty God. We want our sins no longer remembered by our Almighty God. These are the blessings on the special day, the Day of Atonement. Well, when was that observed? Let's read Leviticus 16, 29 to 31. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and do not do any work, whether native born or an alien living among you, because on this day of atonement, because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before Yahuwah, you will be clean from all, your, all of your sins. It is a Sabbath of rest and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. And so this day of atonement is observed on the 10th day of the seventh month. We'll find out what that is later on. But for now, when the people of Israel observed the day of atonement, it had a set of activities. What are they? Well, this is the summary of the day of atonement activities. Number one, the sacrifice of a bull, right? For what purpose? Cleansing of the high priest and the family. What else? Number two, carry the burner and incense. This is the first instance of entrance into the most holy place. Next comes the sprinkling of the blood of the bull on the atonement cover. This is the second entrance to the most holy place. Number four, slaughtering the first goat for the cleansing of the people. Number five, sprinkling the blood of the goat on the atonement cover. Third entrance to the most holy place. Six, cleansing of the tabernacle. Seven, cleansing of the altar. Eight, scapegoat ceremony. And number nine, the birth offering for the high priest and the people. So these are the list of activities that the people of Israel observe on the day of atonement. When is that day celebrated? On the 10th day of the seventh month. However, when they observe this one day, this day of atonement, it is really not meant as a day of celebration, but a day of weeping and, and repentance. Why? 
because on that day, they're going to receive atonement. You know what the key word is in the book of Leviticus chapter 16? What do you think the key word is for Leviticus 16? What's the key word? It is used 16 times in Leviticus 16. What's the key word? What do you think it is? Ask my son. What do you think it is? Key word. That's right. Atonement. How did you know that, my brother? <laughs> atonement is the key word. Do you know what the word atonement means? You know, when we look at Leviticus 16, look at verse 30. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you. Right? If we go to the blue letter Bible and look at the Hebrew word for atonement, what is it? It's the Hebrew word 3722, kafar. Kafar. Does that sound familiar, kafar? It should sound familiar to you. Kafar is used 16 times in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. What does it mean? The definition from Strong's kafar, to cover, to expiate, to play, to placate or cancel, to cleanse, disannul, to forgive, be merciful, pacify, pardon, to purge. And so basically the purpose of atonement is to purge us from our dead works, our sins, to cleanse us from our sins. Do you know when the word kafar was used even before the days of Moses? Do you remember? Let's read here. I think you'll remember. Genesis. Genesis chapter 6 verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. The word pitch there. What does that mean? What Hebrew word is used there? By the way, what is being referred to here? Is it the Ark of the Covenant? Genesis, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. What ark is that? Huh? What is it? Noah's Ark, right? Remember the scenario? God says to Noah, I'm going to destroy the entire world. All human beings are going to perish and die. But those who are inside the ark are going to be what? Saved. And so he builds the ark and God says to him, cover inside and outside this ark made of gopher wood. Cover it with what? Pitch. What is that word pitch? Let's go back to the Blue Letter Bible. It says pitch. Hebrew word 3722. What does it say? Kafar. And so the word kafar, which means atonement, was used for the construction of the ark. Noah's ark. Do you know why? Because Noah's ark typified or is a type of what? A type of Christ. This is why when the flood came, everyone perished except for those who were inside where? The ark. Why were they protected from the wrath of God? Because it was covered on the outside and on the inside with kafar, which refers to what? Atonement, cleansing of sin. You see the power of kafar? You see the power of atonement for sin? This is why the Day of Atonement is very, very important. However, when we observe the Day of Atonement, what kind of mentality should we have? In Leviticus, we read this already. But look at verse 31. It is a Sabbath of rest, and you must deny yourself. What does that mean? 
The same passage in the Amplified Version, this is what it says, it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, nearly October, so it's like September, October, on the 10th day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves by fasting with penitence and humiliation and do no work at all, either the, either the native born or the stranger who dwells temporarily among you. For on this, day of, on this day, atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you from all your sins. You shall be clean before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. And you shall afflict yourselves by fasting with penitence and humiliation. It is a statute forever. And so when they observe this celebration or the ceremony, they do so with a spirit of humility. With fasting and penitence and humiliation, they afflict themselves. In other words, they take the time to really examine themselves. Right? Does that sound familiar? Is that something that we need to do all the time? I think so, right? And so there was a one day when the people of Israel, that's what they did. They, they examined themselves and they were very, very repentant. And this is a statute that is to last forever. This is why to this very day, you know, the people of Israel observed the day of uh, atonement. Yeah. What do they call it? You know what they call it? Yom Kippur. How many here have heard of Yom Kippur before? Day of Atonement. That's the Day of Atonement. They observe that once a year, the Jews today. What are some of the facts of Yom Kippur? Well, in the Jewish calendar, the 10 days of repentance, it begins with Rosh Hashanah, which is the first day of the first of the seventh month. And so that's their new year, right? So they announce it with a trumpet blown. And they fast, they fast, not they fast for 10 days, but they repent for 10 days and ends with Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Yom Kippur is a day for Jews to ask God and others for forgiveness for their sins. Jews fast, they attend service and pray to observe the holiday. It is considered the holiest day of the year for Jewish people. Yom Kippur is ended with the blowing of the shofar, a trumpet made from a ram's horn now it, depending on the year um, they observe Yom Kippur at different dates for example for this year 2020 it starts day of uh, when does it start September 27 right next year September 15 2022 October 4 so depending on the year it doesn't really have a fixed date okay so it's always changing but it's the 10th day of the seventh month. And when they observe Yom Kippur, what do Jews typically do? Well, more than half of Jews will observe the holiday by fasting. This is according to USA Today. According to a Pew Research Center survey, some will avoid working, wearing leather clothes, applying makeup or lotion, washing or bathing and having sex. During this time, Jews attend worship services where the Makhzor, a prayer book used during holy days, is read and specific prayers are recited. At the end of the services, a shofar or ram's horn is blown to signal the end of Yom Kippur. Then Jews are able to feast, breaking the fast. So they fast, and after the fast, what do they do? They feast. 
sounds like fun, right? And so that's what Yom Kippur is all about. According to uh, jufac.org, which is a, Jewish a source of Jewish learning, this is what they have to say about Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is probably the most important holiday of the Jewish year. Many Jews who do not observe any other Jewish customs will refrain from work, they will fast and attend synagogue services on this day. Yom Kippur occurs on the 10th day of Tishri. The holiday is instituted in Leviticus 16, 29 to 30. That's what we're studying, right? But take a look at this, an additional note concerning what you know, some of the traditional beliefs they attach to the biblical teaching of uh, Yom Kippur. The name Yom Kippur means Day of Atonement. And that pretty much explains what the holiday is. It is a day set aside to afflict the soul, to atone for the sins of the past year. In days of awe, which begins on the first day, so there's 10 days of awe, I mentioned the books in which God inscribes all of our names. On Yom Kippur, the judgment entered in these books is sealed. This day is essentially your last appeal, your last chance to change the judgment to demonstrate your repentance and make amends. This is why it's such an important day for the people of Israel. During the days of Moses, it was the one day when all of their sins are forgiven. And it doesn't matter what sins there are, they are. They will be forgiven by Yahuwah our God. Now, the Jews today, they observe Yom Kippur, right? But do you notice what's missing in their celebration? In their observance, what's missing? What is missing in their observance? What, what are the activities of Yom Kippur or the Abatonic? All that, right? Do they, have the, do they have the bulls? Do they have the goats? They don't. Why? Because they don't have a Messiah. You see, for them, their Messiah has not come yet. They don't have a temple. And so they are not able to do sacrifices yet. This is why for them, the Day of Atonement activities or Yom Kippur activities, it's basically just going to the synagogue for a prayer and for a service without the ceremony of the sacrifices mentioned in Leviticus chapter 16. Without the sacrifices outlined by Yehovah God, how then can they receive the blessing of the Day of Atonement? What were they again? Cleansing from sin through the sacrifice of a high priest to be put right with God so that their sins are no longer remembered. How can they receive these blessings without the sacrifices? Question to you is this, during our time, do we receive these blessings of the Day of Atonement? Do we? We do. But wait a minute. Do we have sacrifices today? Do we have a bull and a goat that we present to Yahuwah our God today? Because without the sacrifice, how can we receive the blessings of the day, the day of atonement? Well, we do have a sacrifice. I think you know, right? What do you think that sacrifice is? Let's read the book of Hebrews 9, 12 to 14. When Christ went through the tent and entered once and for all into the most holy place. He did not take the blood of goats and bulls to offer as a sacrifice. Rather, he took his own blood, 
and obtain eternal salvation for us. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a burnt calf are sprinkled on the people who are ritually unclean. And this purifies them by taking away the ritual impurity. Since this is true, how much more is accomplished by the blood of Christ? Through the eternal spirit, he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to God. His blood will purify our consciences from useless rituals so that we may serve the living God. Question, did we also partake of a sacrifice? Did we benefit from a sacrifice? Yes. How? How can we observe Yom Kippur as followers of Yahusha? By placing our faith in what Yahusha has done. What did he do? As a high priest, he went to the most holy place. But instead of offering a bull and a goat, what did he offer instead? Offered himself. He offered himself. This is why the Bible says, if the offering or the sacrifice of a bull and a goat can cleanse you for a whole year, how much more the blood of Yahusha? This is why when Yahusha offered himself, his blood not only cleansed us from useless rituals, what also was his blood able to do? In Hebrews chapter 10, 11, and 12, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good. What does it say? For all time, then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Brethren, do you have faith in what Yahushua did? Because that is how we honor Yom Kippur. When we remember what Yahushua did, when we honor and have faith in what Yahushua did, when we have faith in him, then we get to benefit from what Yahushua did when he sacrificed himself, when he died on the cross so that we, can have our sins forgiven. So the first part was covered, right? The first blessing. Not only did we get cleansing from sin through the sacrifice of the high priest, the high priest we have is Yahusha himself, and he did not sacrifice a bull or a goat, sacrificed himself. What a great blessing it is to be a follower of Yahusha, right? Well, how about number two, to be put right with God? Did we receive this blessing as well because of the sacrifice of Yahusha? Romans 5, 8 to 9, but God has shown us how much he loves us while we were still sinners that Christ died for us by his blood. We are now put right with God. How much more then will we be saved by him from God's anger? That covers that. Our sins have been cleansed. We are put right with God. Well, how about our sins? Will they be still remembered? You know, we just read uh, Hebrews 10, 11, and 12. Let's read Hebrews 11, 17. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. It's like God is saying, he's removing us from our sins and no longer remembering the sins that we have committed. This is why when we became members of the body of Yahusha, we benefit from his sacrifice we observe Yom Kippur. However, does it mean there's nothing for us to do? There is. What is that? The book of uh, James 4, 8 to 10. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you hypocrites. 
Be sorrowful, cry and weep, change your laughter into crying, your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And the people of Israel, when the start of the seventh month began on the first day, they started repenting, right? They were sorrowful, they cried, they wept, their heart was rent because of the sins that they have committed. But did you know, so that was the first day, 10 days later, Yom Kippur, right? Five days later, you know what that was on the 15th? It was the festival of tabernacles, the feast of tabernacles. You know what that was? That was the happiest occasion of all the celebrations of the people of Israel. It was the feast of tabernacles that was the most joyous. You see, the Bible says, when we weep because of our sins, when we truly repent because of our sins, Yahuwah will lift us up. This is what we need to do every day, not just once a year. Let us repent every day. And as we repent, God will lift us up and we will feel the joy that comes for Yahuwah's forgiveness of our sins. This is how we observe the atonement day that God has given to his people, Israel. Okay? All right, that's our lesson for today. Let's go now to our questions. Uh, first question is, dear Brother John, a very pleasant day to you, Paul. I have a few questions. Let me possibly help our fellow Christians, especially those still inside the INC, to comprehend the prophecy for Yahushans. Appreciate if you could answer in our next BHP, what was your precise intention to study the Bible all the way from Genesis through the BHP? Well, actually, we stated our, our reason for doing that. You know where you can find it? BHP number one. In BHP number one, this is what we said. For no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. By the way, we're speaking right there. Yahushua, right? As it is written in the scriptures, they will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. The truth is, when we were all expelled from the synagogue, no one was teaching us from the Bible anymore, right? However, we discovered something much better. What is that? When God himself will be the one to teach you. How? Through the Holy Spirit, using the Holy scriptures this is why we started a bible history project we want god to teach us we want to learn from god through his book so we use the whole scripture second timothy 3 15 and 17 all scripture is given by inspiration of god what was our purpose to know god's complete work complete words not just the parts in the Bible taught by the messenger of God, Brother Felix Juan Manal, or Brother Irano G. Manal, right? But all of the words of God. Why? So that we can have hope and patience and encouragement through the scriptures that they give us. So that's number one. Number two, John 5, 38, 39. Who's speaking here again? Yahusha. Bible says you study, Yahusha says you study the scriptures in detail because you think, you have the source of eternal life in them. These scriptures testify on my behalf. Yahushua says the scriptures really speak about me, right? That's why in Luke 24, 44, he says, I told you that everything 
written about me in Moses' teaching, the prophets and the Psalms had to come true. And so everything in the Old Testament, it was pointing to who? Yahusha. This is why the kafar that was used, for example, in Noah's Ark, pointed to the day when there will be a day of atonement, pointed to the day when Yahusha would complete that day of atonement. Do you see the progression of restoration? Restoration started in Genesis. Restoration is gradual. Started with Noah's Ark, the day of atonement, completed through Yahusha Hamat. Shia. And so the Old Testament teaches us all about the work of Yahusha HaMashiach. This is why in Colossians 2, 16, 17, everything in the Old Testament are shadows of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So the New Testament is actually in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. So both old and new, they fit together like a hand in a glove. Because there are people who say, oh, you don't need to study the Old Testament anymore. We do. Why? Because it speaks about God's will, about events happening nowadays when the apostles had that great debate about what to do with the Gentiles. Guess what they did? They went to the prophecy in the Old Testament. When the INC began to fall, when we left the institution of the synagogue, what did we do? We looked at the prophecy. Where did we find the first one? book of Isaiah, right? This is why we look at the Old Testament for guidance, the prophecy, the word of God. It stands forever. It is timeless, especially its principles. Now, second, number three, Psalm 119.18, open my eyes, that I may see wonderful things. This is why we're astonished, right? When we find snippets and nuggets of revelations from God, that it was impossible for human beings to know, like the Levitical laws, right? Concerning circumcision on the eighth day and so many other events that God has revealed. The Bible says that we should not remove even one jot or tittle because it's so very important. The Bible is the most studied and researched book in the history of the world. The more it is studied, the more we are at awe of its wonderful truths. And so those were the three main reasons why we started the Bible history, Bible history Project. Number one, learn from God through the Bible. We want God to teach us, right? We want God to teach us. Because there are people nowadays who say, oh, only the executive minister can teach us. No, God can teach us through the Holy Spirit and through his book. What else? To find Christ in all of scriptures. This is why we see so many types so many allusions to who our lord yahusha and to see the wonderful things in god's words okay so those are the three major purposes of the bhp you can go back to bhp number one if you want number two was it just coincidence while studying exodus or you have already learned through your own research that yahuwah is god's name even before you started the bhp well when I was still in INC and I was studying in the school, um, we studied about the different names of God. And my question was, yeah, uh, God has a personal name. But the professor said, no, he doesn't have a personal name. They have many titles. That's the stand of the INC. And so I just accepted that. But deep inside, I knew he had a personal name because you cannot deny the tetragrammaton. 
It's in the Bible. You cannot deny it. Okay. So even before, I mean, while still in INC, a lot of people already knew, but INC did not really cover it in detail. They just simply dismissed it by saying God has many names. However, when you look at the names, and I can show you the lesson that they taught, word for word, they, they will say all of these names, like El Elyon, El Olam. When you look at it, they're titles of Yahuwah, which is distinct from the Tetragrammaton, which is the personal name of God. And so even before we studied Exodus, you know, I knew about the name. However, we did not plan it that way. We have no idea we're going to be preaching about the name of Yahuwah our God. No idea. Everything that's happening now, we did not plan. It was all designed by Yahuwah God. This is why I don't believe it's a coincidence. Even when we study the book of Exodus, you know what the name, you know what Exodus actually means? Or the second book of the Torah? Do you know how it's actually recognized by the Jews? It's not Exodus. It's not Exodus. You know what it is? It's Shemot, the book of Shemot, which means what? Names. The book of Exodus should be properly translated the book of names. Why? Because that book begins with a list of names of the children of Israel. It suggests how significant the issue of identity is when it comes to one's name. And in Exodus, what was the emphasis? The name of Yahuwah our God. Okay. Number three, can we assume that the prophecies for the third group of God's people in the last days who would call on Yahuwah's name that happens to be a part of your teaching is another coincidence? I don't believe in coincidences. Right? What do we believe in? Prophecy. Prophecy. See, prophecy is not something that we can personally explain. This is why when Brother Felix Manalo preached about the prophecy concerning the Far East, right? He did not preach about the gathering in the Far West, did he? Who preached that? Brother Iranuji Manalo, right? Because it was not yet time. So prophecy's purpose is to unfold according to the timeline, not of man, but who? Our Almighty God. So is this a coincidence that during our time, Yahuwah's name is being discussed? Yahuwah's name is being revealed and proclaimed? No, it's fulfillment of prophecy. This is why the work of proclaiming the one and true name of God actually confirmed and complete the biblical prophecies taught by Brother Felix Y. Manalo and Brother Irano G. Manalo. Remember, restoration happens gradually. One of the things that need to be restored is the proclaiming of the true name of Yahuwah our God. And so when we look at the prophecies that was preached and taught by Brother Felix Manalo, Brother Irano G. Manalo, when we look at its completion, it reveals also the proclaiming of the name of God. Let's go ahead and go through that really fast because this is really important. These are the biblical prophecies revealed by Brother Felix Faimanala and Brother Ranji Manala. You probably are familiar with these prophecies, right? John 10, 16. 
Isaiah 43, 5 to 6, Isaiah 59, 19, Isaiah 24, 15, Acts 2, 39, Zechariah 13, 9. These are the prophecies preached by Brother Felix Fanalo, Brother Ryan Gimanal. These prophecies pertain to the Iglesia Nicrisa, the Church of Christ that was called in the Far East during the time called ends of here. Do we believe in these prophecies? Yes, we do. However, when we look at the details of the prophecies, it is progressive. And when you keep looking at what happens to it, it points to the name of Yahuwah, our God. Look at John 10, verse 16, concerning the other sheep. In John 10, 16, Yahushua says, I have other sheep, right? We know this prophecy. The other sheep refers to those called during the ends of the earth. The sheep, how are they referred to by Yahushua? They were given to him by God. His sheep were given to him. And the sheep given by God to him, what does Yahushua reveal to them? I made your name known. Not only does he make his name known to the sheep during the first century, in John 17, 25, 26, it says, I have made your name known to them and will make it known. Because he also prophesied about the other sheep. So when you look at the prophecy preached by Brother Felix Fabinal about the other sheep, not only are the other sheep of Christ are going to be brought together to form one flock, they will also eventually recognize the name of the Father. Because it will be revealed to them by who? Yahusha al-Mashiach. This is why if we look at the prophecy there, it points to what? It's completion by knowing the name of Yahuwah. Okay. All right. Let's go to the next one. Isaiah 43, 5 to 6. We know this very well. Isaiah 43, 5 to 6. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. When was this fulfilled? 1914. And then 1968, and then 1996, and then verse 7, everyone who is called by my name. So the name again will be revealed. God says, my name. What name is that? The name given by God to his son. This is why Yahushua says, your name, the name you gave me. The name that is above all names by which we are to be Say Isaiah 59 19. This was used, of course, by Galatian Christo in your Pandoctrina or your fundamental Bible studies. Isaiah 59 19 was used, and the application is the fulfillment in the far west. However, when we look at the passage in Isaiah 59 19, what does God expect from his people to do who will come from the far east and go to the far west? Book of Isaiah 59, 19, from the West, men will fear the name. You see that? Men will fear the name of Yahuwah. And from the rising of the sun, they will reveal his glory. For he will come up like a pent up flood that the breath of Yahuwah drives along. In Isaiah 24, 15, what is this about? It's about the people of God who will come from where? The islands of the sea. During what time? Ends of the earth. They will sing glory to the righteous one. Who is the righteous one referred to there? Huh? Who is the righteous one referred to there? Yeah. The righteous one refers to God, Yahuwah, right? But if you will replace the glory, or if you misplace the glory that's supposed to go to Yahuwah, and you give it to someone else, that's an act of treachery. That's why the Bible says, but I said, I waste away, I waste away, woe to me. The treacherous betray. The treachery, the treacherous betray. 
However, what does God expect from his people who will come from the islands of the sea during a time called the ends of the earth? Let's read the whole context. Verse 15, there is, therefore in the east give glory to Yahuwah, exalt, what does it say? The name of Yahuwah, the God of Israel, in the islands of the sea. You see, when we complete the fulfillment of the prophecy, because it's progressive in its completion, in its unfolding, it is progressive. And so when we look at it during our time now, is when God's name is going to be revealed. The people of God are not only going to come from the east during a time called the ends of the earth, they are also commanded to exalt the name of Yahuwah. This is what we're doing. How about this one? Acts 2.39. The three groups of the Christian era. Remember that one? For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Three groups. Who were the first? What's the first group? How was that fulfilled? The first group. The Jews. Right? How about the, your children? How was that fulfilled? The Gentiles. So the Jews, the Gentiles, were called in the first century. What happened to the first century church? They turned away from Yahuwah God. They fell because of apostasy. But there's a promise. What is that? As many as the Lord our God will call, there's a third group that will be called from afar off, a far off place and a far off time. This refers to his people that came from the far east during the time of July 27, 1914, right? And when it comes to this prophecy in Acts 2.39, when we keep reading Acts 2.39, it quotes the book of Joel, chapter 2 and verses 32, which says, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of Yahuwah shall be saved, for in Mount Zion, and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance, as Yahuwah said, among the remnant whom Yahuwah calls. And so the third group will have a remnant whom Yahuwah calls. And how will they be recognized? They will call on the name of Yahuwah. How about the last one? Zechariah 13, verse 9. We know this prophecy well. About the third group. I will bring the one-third through the fire. will refine them as silver is refined. And test them as gold is tested. So this is about the third group. And what will happen as they are tested? The Bible says they will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, Yahuwah is my God. Do you notice a pattern? What is the pattern that you notice? All the prophecies that were taught by Brother Felix Juan Manalo and Brother Iran Eugene Manalo is being fulfilled even to this very day, right? It's progressive. It is being completed through the restoration of the name of our Almighty God. This is why when people ask us, if God's name is Yahuwah and Jesus' name is really Yahusha, why was it not taught by Brother Felix Y. Manala? Why was it not taught by Brother Iranio G. Manala? Because according to the prophecy, it will be taught and proclaimed after, after the event of Isaiah chapter 1, which we all know what it's all about, right? And this is why the prophecies that were preached 
or the messenger in Brother Irani Manala has its completion, part of its completion in the restoration of the name of Yahuwah our God. Number four, lastly, verses in the Bible mention Church of Christ as the congregation of God's people, not Church of Yahusha. Is it not more biblical if we remain to be called Church of Christ? Thank you so much, Brother John, and may our Yahuwah God bless you with more spiritual wisdoms. Okay, that's a nice question, actually, right? I mean, when you look at the Bible, do you find Church of Christ? Barely. <laughs> when the only time you find Church of Christ is Romans 16, 16, and it says Churches of Christ, right? Acts 20, 28, you find Church of Christ in one translation. What is that? Lamza. The other translation is Church of God. Mostly Church of God and some Church of the Lord. Nevertheless, is it wrong to call the church Church of Christ? No. Why? Because the church belongs to who? The Christ. And so to answer this question, is it not more biblical if we remain to call the church of Christ? I don't think so. Is it wrong to call it church of Christ? No, it's not wrong. Because there are many names or there are many uh, designations for how this church is recognized and called. Like what? Church of the first born. Is it wrong to call it church of the firstborn? No, it's not. Church of the Saints. Is it wrong to call it Church of the Saints? No. Church of the Gentiles. Is that wrong? Church of God. Is that wrong? To the Church of God, which is according to those who have been sanctified in Christ Yahusha, saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Yahusha Christ, the Lord and ours. That's another name. Church of God. In fact, the most numerous uh, calling for uh, designation for the church is Church of God, by far. Right? Acts 20 28, Church of the Lord. Romans 16 16, our favorite passage, Churches of Christ. However, there's also in Thessalonians 2, verse 14, brothers and sisters, you follow the example of the churches of God in Judea, churches of Christ, Yahushua. So there's a church of Yahushua. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. So all these different designations you can use to refer to the followers of Yahushua. However, the most accurate, the most biblical, is the one that has the name that was given by God to be the name that is the name of salvation. What is that name? Book of Acts 4.10, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, but by the name of Yahushua Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you all, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What is that name by which we are to be saved? It is the name of Yahushua. The name of Christ is not the name that was given. The name Christ is a name of a title. What does it mean? anointed one right it's a title but the name of the savior is yahushua this is why when he was born and an angel visited the mother what was the instruction from the angel and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name what does it say yahushua for he will save his people from there since apostle paul confirms that name in philippians 2 9 to 11 
Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Yahusha, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Yahusha Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. Is it wrong to call the church Church of Christ? No. But what is more accurate to call it Church of Yahusha? Because the Christ is Yahusha. And the name given above all of the names is the name of Yahusha. It is the name of God that he gave to his son, Yahusha. Yahuwah, Yahusha. Yahuwah saves through the Christ. This is why it is more biblically sound to call the church of Yahusha the Christ. Church of Yahusha. But technically, it's not right. It's not wrong. To call the church of Christ. Okay? All right. That's our lesson for today. Uh, thank you for attending our Bible study. Before we go ahead and conclude, let us all stand for our prayer. Everlasting Father. Yes. Our gracious God, Yahuwah Abba. Yes. We pray to you to offer thanks. Yes. For the gift of atonement. Yes. That Father. you have bestowed your people. Amen. Thank you for finding a way. Yes. Through sacrificing your own son. Yes. That we can be put right with you. Yes. And our sins are no longer remembered. Amen. Because of this, our sins have been cleansed. Yes. And you have declared that we are your sons and daughters. Amen. Thank you for showing us your plan. Yes. The prophecies are being fulfilled. Yes. But we know the work of restoration continues. Yes. Father, reveal to us your will. Yes. What we still need to do in preparation for the great day of our salvation. Amen. Yahusha HaMashiach. Yes. We also call upon your name. Yes. May you increase our faith and strengthen us always. Amen. May you pray for your servants yes. that we will not fail. We can only succeed through you. With you in us, nothing is impossible. Amen. Father, please forgive all our sins. Yes. Bless our loved ones and our friends. Yes. That they will know your will as well. Yes. All of us can be together to worship you in spirit and truth. Amen. We ask everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.